Hello, and welcome to Lockdown Film Festival Conversations. Today's discussion will follow our thoughts and feelings about the 2010 film Boy, written and directed by Taika Waititi. Thank you for listening, and here's the conversation. Hello to all. Uh, first week of the second edition of Lockdown Film Festival. <laughs> film Club. <laughs> Guess who's back? Um, so, yes, thank you all for sticking it out. And uh, let's welcome our new juror slash selector, Charlotte. Woo! Just a couple of little bits of admin because I am um, annoying. Uh, going forward, uh, we're going to try to have the selector of each film slightly run the meeting a little bit more. Not to the point where, you know, you're a lecturer or anything like that, but just a few talking points you'd like to discuss so that maybe when the conversation dies down a bit, as it tends to do, it's not one person trying to reinvigorate it each time. It's a bit bit across the board. Um, yeah. Uh, secondly, um, we, I think, Max, the weekend of the 28th, 29th, is our the next awards night, and uh, right now we're planning to have planning to November. kind of book a private room, dinner, drinks, awards kind of thing. Yeah, uh, get dressed up just to you know. Um, ideally, I we can do that. We might not be able to do that, but ideally, we can do that. Of when? November. 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 Did I not say November? No. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all the wins. All the awards. <laughs> Next week, guys. It's on next week. Awards next week. Uh, you've only got one. You've only got one nominee and one vote. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a long way off, but it's, you know, stick it in your diaries just Stay so you can kind of now, keep track. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, ideally we can do it somewhere where we can actually see each other if possible. Um, Will we have to be in black tie again with pajamas? No, ju ju just black tie for this one. Black black tie. Perfect. Black tie from the waist down. Oof. <laughs> yeah, we'll do the exact we'll swap and complete. Um, yeah, and then um, there's another thing I'd like to touch on at the end of each session, but I'll bring that up when we come to the end of it. And um, lastly, I've written down have fun. Because, oh, God. Because no one had fun last time. Um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, this week. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, so week week one or week 14, I haven't quite worked out how I'm going to name it going forward. Uh, Boy, written and directed by Taika Waititi and selected by our own Kiwi-ish, Mr. Bradley. Uh, oh, oh, there God. we go. Um, yeah, no idea. I, I, have been, been, yeah, I have been. Yeah, I've been. And um, yeah, so Harry, why don't you tell us why you, you picked this film? And yeah. as I say, hopefully a bit more in this second edition, lead our discussion. Well, we shall see about that, but I'll try my best. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Um, thanks for watching, boy. Um, I actually stumbled upon this. I was, I was going to choose Honey Boy with Shia LaBeouf because I love Shia LaBeouf, obviously. And um, I saw that this was on, on Prime as well, and I thought that'd be a much better go. It's a little bit older. So I've done a lot of honey themed yeah, films, hasn't it? Yeah, it's controversial. It's a separate conversation for another time, but... 
Um, so I saw this. I'm, uh, I'd say I'm quite a big fan of Taika Waititi. Having seen Ragnarok, uh, Hunt for the Wilder People and Jojo Rabbit, I thought Hunt for the Wilder People was absolutely delightful. Really loved it as a film. I thought Jojo Rabbit still really enjoyed it. I had a couple of issues, but still really enjoyed it. And I think Ragnarok's a great comic book movie. I feel like he's a filmmaker that kind of can be a bit black and black or white. Like you can either, some people seem to really enjoy him and some people kind of find him insufferable or, but you know, we'll see how we talk about this film. Um, I'd never seen this. It's not his first film, but he got a lot of uh, plaudits for it. It did very well on the festival circuit. Um, didn't get much of a release after that. I think, gosh, you might know this a bit better, but like initial, an actual US release wasn't until 2017 or something like that. Bear in mind, this was made 2009, 2010. Um, so not a lot of people have seen it, I don't think. Um, but I thought it'd be an interesting one, uh, having been a fan of his films since. Um, I thought, in terms of just telling you what I thought about it, why not, like Gus said, some talking points wise. I thought a good thing to start with is um, the visual storytelling of it and the kind of what did people think about how he told his story visually um, let's let's start there what I mean by that is some of the cutaway scenes some of the fantastical elements both when they're dealing with reality but both and fiction and well I won't say any more but if anyone wants to kick off with what they thought about visual storytelling in this film oh Someone's got a WhatsApp. Uh, sorry, I think it's me. <laughs> it was, sorry, I've closed it. Come um, in here with your WhatsApps. <laughs> with your friends. <laughs> I thought the visual storytelling kind of cut away fantastical bits kind of saved it a little bit mm-hmm. in, a, in a way for me because I felt like the story itself nothing particularly really happened mm-hmm. um in my opinion but those kind of like cutaways that that added a bit to, to the humor made it a lot better for me i thought so i quite like them mm. so you thought they provided a good support to a story that was mm. there but needed that extra bit of yeah cool so there was the initial one where he breaks out of jail um yeah. which watching that was like cool this is like what i expect from type and like this kind of humor this kind of sort of silliness but also with a seriousness you now it's telling the story um i thought the sort of drawn ones were an interesting sort of good touch for the film but i wouldn't say it heightened it or lessened it for me i just thought it was mm. a nice touch it didn't have any drastic changes for me really yeah i disagree i thought these ads opposite i thought that's that really made me kind of get the idea of the character of rocky a bit more because for a lot of the film, he goes through almost silently. He doesn't really engage. He doesn't speak. Like he's talked at. He's abused verbally by you know his brother and a little bit by his dad for being. Why is he weird? Why is he not saying anything? So the drawings really gave me an aspect of like how he viewed his dad. And there was lots of moments where like he almost viewed him as this monster who was going to break out and ruin things because he didn't know who he was. And then near the end of the film, that idea slipped away because he really decided he was going to engage with his father. And so I thought the drawings were a really good representation of like a kind of silent child. And I thought that was a really good way of like, because a lot of Taika's films deal with the idea of children quite a lot. Like a lot of his protagonists are children. And I think he's got a great sensibility in getting into the mind of a child and understanding children. And I thought that was one of the best uses I've seen to help us understand what a child's thinking 
without them saying anything. I thought that was, I personally thought that was excellent storytelling. I thought it was stylistically as well. There was just something really charming about it. I don't know, just the, just the, the hand-drawn cutaways. I think, it, you know, irrelevant of what, whether it was making a point or furthering the narrative, actually for me, it was, it was just, a, they were just lovely to watch and watch them unfold. Um, and I thought, you know, whether or not there was any huge, deeper meaning behind them, I, I, I really did enjoy that. I thought, and I also thought, you know, that it's a slightly lighter way to approach some of the, some of the material as well, I suppose. I think as well, um, it was quite obviously comic booky, and there's quite a lot of popular culture references in the whole film. Yeah. Um, and it felt like that could have also been the way that, like Rocky's coping mechanism, that was the way that he sort of thought about his life and, and tried to work out his place, you know, after the trauma of apparent, like him thinking he killed his mom or whatever. Um, and I think it was quite interesting how you see popular culture come in through the rest of the film, like boy, absolutely loving Michael Jackson and being references to Michael Jackson, like throughout. Um, so I think it was quite a nice way to bring in like comic booky style, which obviously Taika Waititi has some kind of affinity to thinking about the other um, like parts of his work. But I agree. I think it was a really good way of exploring Rocky's story. I think so because like anatomizing the fact you have got almost two sets of fantasies, haven't you? You've got like the fantasy of Rocky's drawings, and you've got the fantasies that Boy has just in his own imagination. When as you're seeing live action scenes of what he's imagining his dad to have been like and what his dad to have done, and so I think that's why I, that's another reason why it's such a good touch is because you have two children, two sets of fantasies, but completely different stylistically. And it's almost showing how one of them is engaging with them and one of them is not engaging with them and how they deal with their lives and how they speak about them, mm. which I thought was, you know, it gave us a nice little comparison between the two brothers as well. I think it's a nice, just to leapfrog off that, Gus, as well, because we hear that Rocky thinks he's got powers because Boy told him that's why his mum had died. So I was wondering whether Rocky told him that, uh, sorry, Boy told Rocky that in an attempt to help him deal with the trauma or he said it in like a blaming way, but but basically Rocky's fantasies are off the back of Boy telling him something to deal with something that had happened in their lives, which I think was really interesting. And yeah, to have two kids' fantasies, but very different stylistically, I thought was was really cool. Um, yeah, any, any more? I think, oh, sorry, have you go. Uh, so I was just gonna say like, I think, um, uh, yeah, I think there's a massive homage to how he, used visuals in the fact that obviously there was a lot of Michael Jackson references but he managed to make so many references to Michael Jackson without any of his music being played obviously and like a lot of it was through recreations of his music videos which are very famous and known for being grand but I thought that was just so well done in the fact that um, there's so many Michael Jackson references just through the uh, like reenacting the music videos really colourful really beautiful and really got into the mind of a kid because it did it did just feel like you were watching him he was like looking at his dad as if he was a god um, and yeah just thought it was pretty cool I agree and I think there's one one of the things I you know obviously watching it now it was obviously like there was a bit of apprehension to the whole Michael Jackson stuff but I like the fact that kind of almost all the kids were obsessed with Michael Jackson like you know, there was the other kid that kind of slightly bullied him. He was wearing like the thriller jacket. A lot of them 
talked about Michael Jackson a lot and the dance moves and all this kind of stuff. It wasn't just one boy who was obsessed with this superstar. It was like he identified himself by being a massive Michael Jackson fan, but actually they were all Michael Jackson fans. So he's actually kind of, it's almost a way of showing that he didn't really have an identity because he was following the same thing that everyone else was following. And so I think when his dad comes back, that's him then trying to create a new identity. And I want to be like my dad. I want to be in the biker gang. This is what I want to be to create an identity because he doesn't really have one. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good point. Like beforehand, he's showing um, Chardonnay his Michael Jackson moves. And that's how he shows that up. Fucking that's the, you know, so <laughs> the awkwardness of it. He just like leaves the camera and you can tell the kid's just trying not to laugh as well. <laughs> him doing that and then when his dad turns up you're right Gus like his dad becomes his new person that he wants to imitate and, and show off kind of thing and like the Michael Jackson wash just seems to be like a piece of pop culture just like is in the community and everyone's obsessed with it and like E.T. then like it's like the dad's obsessed with E.T. Mm -hmm. and keeps bringing it up but the fact that isn't there one of um, Tyker's characters brothers or sisters called Michael Jackson like Michael Jackson's been around for long enough that one of the brothers is called Michael Jackson as well. Like it shows how much of an effect that, you know, in a small corner of New Zealand, one popular culture figure can have such a massive effect on a community like that. And yeah. yeah. And you, you can tell as well, because he also like, you know, he consistently talks about like his dad's going to take him to see Michael Jackson. <laughs> so it's like, he's using that to boast. He's not boasting being like, Oh, I'm going to see Michael Jackson. Everyone's like, who's that? He's like trying to impress yeah. on them. This is how cool I am. This is how cool my dad is. I'm going to get to see Michael Jackson when he, when he finally comes back. In the flesh. Uh, brilliant. <laughs> Sorry, I felt apt. Yeah, no, you, you can't take that off now to the end of the call. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think as well, the, the, the fantasy element I thought was really interesting in terms of, I suppose I don't know whether it would be called fantasy, but like the kind of flashbacks almost to the father and the mother and stuff and how like, mm -hmm. The moment when, because I don't know if anyone else felt this, but I felt watching it like, oh, I'm I'm so desperate not to dislike this father completely because he's clearly been broken by his wife's death. He's having to deal with all of this stuff. He's not naturally predisposed to be a father, but, you know, he does care. He played like there's those lovely images with the mother and the father while she's pregnant on the on the, you know, on the tree. And then there's the the devastation you see with him when she's died in childbirth. And then you have those moments where they're all ripped away from you going, he wasn't there at all. And so it's like, almost like I felt like I was born in that aspect of like, I've tried so hard to not hate you because I believe you are a good guy because of these things that I remember from earlier in my life, earlier in the film. Mm. And now I've realized that actually you're just a shitty person and you don't care. Mm. And I think that for me, like, that was such a powerful moment, not just for Boy, but for me as a viewer, because I felt the same way. Because, like, I love Tyker, as probably other people do. And so I was like, oh, I really don't like... I, I hated this guy more than I hated him when he was playing Hitler. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, it was just, like, yeah, by the end, I was like, I fucking hate you. I fucking hate you. But I didn't want to hate him for so long, like Boy did. Boy was so desperate to love yeah. his dad. I think that's, that goes back to what we were saying about his ability as a director to get into the mind of a child like you know I found and I found this with Jojo Rabbit too which I I'll happily discuss another time because I absolutely love it but it's you you find yourself sitting behind the eyes of of the of the main uh character which 
which is the child in this instance. And he's so desperate to love this character. So therefore you are too. When realistically, it could have been played in so many different ways. This film could have been really dark and not at all lighthearted and, and, and actually far less compelling, I think. I think part of the reason I find his work so compelling is because you are sat in the head of, of, of this child and you feel the things that the child is feeling. And I, I think it's, it takes a lot to be able to do that in a nuanced way. Um, but it's exactly what you said, Gus. I was really hoping to like him and I absolutely didn't. Um, I think it's a good point. He doesn't have many redemptive moments throughout the film. No. He's constantly a shitbag, and yet you see Boy try and spin it into something good kind of thing. Um, I, can't, I can't remember at what point in the film, there was a flashback, I think, wasn't there, between the dad and the mother. Yeah. There was a moment. Mm -hmm. I thought that worked really well to kind of humanise him, and that, I think, coincided in a similar sort of part of the film when, you know, it was clear that he was broken by the death of the mother, you know, more than anyone else. Like, yeah. he was sat down by the grave, wasn't he? I can't remember if the flashback was just before then or after then, but... I think we'd had it previously, but you got a sense. It worked really well, I thought. Well, kind when of he's waiting outside the graveyard, he yeah. kind of can't bring himself to actually go through the gate, kind of, yeah. What I yeah. thought was quite interesting well, in, um, in Boy's initial description of his dad, he says, you know, he's, um, he's a deep sea diver, which he's not. He's a master carpenter, which he might well have been and then he was the captain of the rugby team which he could well have been he doesn't hold the record for punching out the most number of people but like there are bits in there because he then told the story like he carved something for his mum like there might it's like he had glimpses of his the real things that his dad did and then had to like add on the like superfluous ones to like add them up but there were some of them didn't seem as outrageous and that's mm. I think he said his mum and dad met where she was drowning and he saved him because he's a deep sea diver, which he could have just saved her from drowning. But then boy was like, well, if that, he must be a deep sea diver then. So it's like, there were glimpses where he could have been just a, a, a guy who did normal things, but boy had to elevate them to, you know. Well, I think psychologically that's quite realistic as well. Yeah. yeah. If, you know, I, I've, I, I can't think of any examples. You know, when you're a kid, you're given a glimpse of an idea or a story and you just run with it in your own mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in a really lovely way. Definitely did that a lot. <laughs> but he's got no, he's, the dad's not there to be like, oh no, I didn't do that. So he's just, his mind runs wild filling in the gaps, doesn't it? Yeah. He does it in every context. Like even when he's talking to the goat, he's exaggerating and making things up about like going back to Chardonnay. <laughs> yeah, he's lies the goat. Eating McDonald's. <laughs> and I think that's why you buy into the filmed flashbacks with mum and dad, because all the rest of the time you can see through his bullshit. Like obviously dad hasn't done this or that, or yeah. his hasn't gone this way, but that is sold to us as real. Mm. And then that's why it's more heartbreaking at the end when it's taken away from you. Cause like you said, Gus, you're always looking for that glimmer of just maybe. <laughs> I think like when I, when I watched it, like, you know, that first fantasy and like Max, you mentioned about like the brilliant bit, we breaks out of prison and he throws a spoon in stew from what we do in the shadow's eye and whatever. <laughs> like, it's all very, you know, classic type of surreal, very odd. And then, you know, your brain trains yourself to know that at some point this father's going to appear, right? I don't know when exactly it's going to be in the film, but this guy's going to appear because he's clearly important. And then he arrives in the car with the two guys. And I was just in disbelief at how disengaged he was. Like, he doesn't get out of the car. He doesn't speak nicely to them. He's just like, oh, hey, how's it going? 
Oh yeah, oh yeah. Are you are you my son? And he's like, yeah. He's like, okay, cool. Like he's lying. Yeah. <laughs> he it, like, yeah. he believe it himself. Yeah, exactly. It, it's just this this man who is like, I was expecting that moment, even though I probably guessed the dad was going to be a bit of a dickhead to like still at least be, hey, how's it going? So then you have like that kind of up with the dad and then the down with the dad, but it never goes up at all. It always stays mm. like here. It never. You never get that amazing moment where they're like, oh, he's such a loving father, he really cares about them. You never get that, which is very mature yeah. writing for a film about this kind of thing, especially when it's probably quite in general, like marketed a little bit to kids because there's so many kids in it. I That scene shocked me. I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is hard to watch. I also think one of my top comic moments from the film is when they he goes, do you want a cup of tea? And they're like, yeah, sure. And then they sit drinking it in the car. <laughs> Oh, do you three, yeah, the three kids on one side and three adults on the other side, and the kids have made the adults the tea. Yeah, yeah. Just a pile of bread like that. Uh, just, yeah. Yeah. And then when the two guys go out to get all the presents, and then and then the dad stays in there and just waits and is really awkward. It's like, right, right, I'm going to go as well because I can't stand to be in this room with your kids. I love him boasting that he's seen ET four times and then he's seen Thriller ten times. Like that's gonna like that's how cool he is. And he's and the boy is like. <laughs> and when they're on the beach and they're playing with the driftwood and he's he makes a comment about how boy can't be in the gang because he's not an adult he's like you know we're adults we don't play with toys and then he knobs around pretending driftwood is a piece is like a machine gun for at least like five minutes yeah. well, <laughs> Very I mean, I, I, with like loaded ammunition seaweed <laughs> as well like he's not really into it <laughs> i think that's what's you know as the film goes on that's really what we see isn't it like Boy is the adult, and 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 what's his name? Elamay Ella, Senior Ella is, is the is the child. Like, I don't know, I don't know about you, but not many films when a, a character's been a real shitbag do you get the vindication of him being slapped. Like when Boy slaps him at the end, you really want it to. And Boy realizes that like, I'm the adult here. Boy, you know, the nan left, went to a funeral for a week, and Boy was in charge and could make dinner and could sort things out and. And the dad couldn't even handle that. So I guess it's, it's and the film's called, there's, you know, the film's called Boy, yet you realise that the main character is more adult than his own father at the, at the end of the day, which yeah. I think that's a nice build. I, like Gus said, you're kind of expecting, oh, well, he'll turn up and be a dad eventually. And he just never fucking does. Even at the end, the boys come to the grave and, and they're there for him kind of thing. It's like, they've learned how to be without their mum and they've had to like grow up and, and figure it out and now he's back and he's they're going to help him figure out what life can be kind of thing almost a perfect final line as well I don't know if anyone else thought that yeah when so Rocky says hell's Japan because not only is that hilarious that's also so telling about the situation that they're still in it does the fact that like you know, he's he's asked, he's been, boys told Rocky that dad's gone to Japan because that's what dad said. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rocky's like, how, you know, he comes yeah. back within a day and he's like, how's Japan? Yeah. Which, like, is hilarious, but <laughs> also shows you that, like, this is how bad this dad is, is that his, his child, his child still believes he's gone to Japan. Yeah. His child still believes it because he just <laughs> cannot engage with them properly at all. And all the jokes. Yeah. I thought he was taking the pits. Or like, he was like pandering to yeah. him like he was a child and he was going to indulge him in his fantasy or something. Like I think guys. if Boy had said that, I'd probably believe that a little bit yeah. more. But I think the fact that it was Rocky, who doesn't really know what's going on as much as Boy does, made me think that like... He seems because there's, a, there's the point, there's the point, isn't there, where Rocky goes, he's my dad too. I want to be friends. I want to know him. I want to be like dad as well. And so I think like Boy's finally got past that 
you know, tip of the wave of believing in his dad to the other side, whereas Rocky's not there yet. Mm. I think Rocky's still riding that wave and my dad could be a good guy. I don't know. I always felt like Rocky had a bit more of a handle on things, mm. even though he thought he was a superhero. I just felt like he was a bit more like... <laughs> <laughs> but he was a superhero, right? He was. he was a superhero. He did shit, didn't I he? I agree. I almost thought that it, Rocky from the off just knew that his dad was a writer, whereas Boy was constantly trying to reclaim him as a good father, whereas Rocky just from the off was just giving him evils. You know? <laughs> but then, it, but I, I thought, think it switches. I, I, thought, I think it I switches. He was like this omniscient kid who was like just see, just, just saw through him immediately. No, I completely agree. I think he is that for a long period of time. But then there's a point where they're both sat in the back of the car just before the, ga- the gang are beaten up. And Rocky says, like he says to the boy system, why are you here? And he goes, he's my dad too. I want to spend time with him too. And for me, that's the moment where Rocky has, uh, Rocky has changed his mind and boys also changed his mind. So they both flipped for yeah, me how they view their dad. That's when it starts to shift a little bit. Rocky buys into it a little bit more, I suppose, doesn't he? But yeah. Talky Rocky, how good is the scene with the weird guy down by the beach? I thought that was a lovely. That was I great. Mean, that's one of the most like, oh shit, what kind of film am I watching? He goes, I killed my mum. I was yeah. like, holy yeah. fuck, who's like, who told you that? And as if that kid, he's six, he's walking around with that weight on his shoulders. But then, and then, you know, that's quite an obvious, you know, thing where five minutes previously, boys thrown the rocks at the weird man. And um, he says to Rocky, did you get him, Rocky? And Rocky just goes, no. Like, and then yeah. you have that nice thing where like that's he's not a weird man it's like boy's perception of of people is warped and rocky's is a bit better almost i guess yeah yeah do you think rocky was, rocky like, oh sorry Go. I, I was gonna say do you think there was any like wider meaning to the weirdo on the beach because you know at the end where boy falls in and then he sees his mum but then it actually turns out to be the weirdo i yeah. don't know like because I, I was trying to work out, like, who is this guy going to be? And it felt like there wasn't really a very explicit sort of reason for his way in this, this being his mate for a while. But then you have that bit at the end and you wonder if it was meant to be, you know, this, oh, the, you know the saviour, but then that feels a bit on the nose. I don't know. Oh, it's interesting because no one sees that guy apart from Rocky and um, Boy, do they? And at the end, when his cousin calls him, when he's just when he's asleep on the beach, or you've got to come home, like you don't see her interact with the, the weird guy or anything like that. I'd never thought of that, but there is something about him being saved by what he thinks is his mum at first, and then it turns out to be the yeah. guy. That's really cool. It's almost like that's is that like is the reason that styled that way this the clarifying moment, the moment of clarity where he finally realizes who his dad is, the fact that he's been saved by someone. He thinks he's been saved by his mum, and then he realizes I've been saved by someone who I've literally thrown rocks at. Yeah. This shows that your that familial or like personal relationships don't actually mean shit. It's about what someone does in that moment because yeah. the bloke doesn't even really talk to him. He's like sat face when he wakes up, he's sat facing the other way, mm. like looking off at the sunset. And so it felt very much like, oh, this person who I've I'm not I'm not really fussed about the been horrible two stuff. Whether this bloke who no one gives a shit about is actually just done a nice thing because it's a nice thing to do, and yet my dad can't even do that, and I'm his son. You know, yeah. I mean, boys' perception of everyone kind of flips, doesn't it? Not not everyone, but well, I think one of the nicest moments is when he finally sees that um, Dynasty is clearly 
the girl for him instead of Chardonnay and he gives her the spark, like having said, I'm saving it for a special occasion. Like, what a cheesy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Harry, important question. How many times did you cry? Well, I watched it with Nick, so not, I didn't want to like... <laughs> He's very macho when he's around me, as you can see. <laughs> there was some a lot of internal weeping. <laughs> yeah. What did people think? I thought, like child performances in general, like very good. Very pretty good. good. Yeah, I think child perform. I, I don't know how other people feel. I think in general, child performances are painful. I mm. personally think, and I'm always very happy to see one. Huh? All right, sorry, Gus. I think it's a sign of a good director when you can get good child performances because it's just about telling them the right thing and, and getting them in the right mood, I think. Yeah, yeah and I think there's an element, I think, yeah, and uh, there's, I agree, there's, it's, it's definitely directed, but I think also there is an element of writing. Like, I think Taika knows when he has these young kids in his films. If he just goes, I'm just going to make them funny. Yeah. I'm going to write them funny lines, and then if they deliver them, to 90% of how they should be delivered, they're going to be funny. Instead of trying to write them as like, instead of trying to write, he literally just writes them as kids who say funny stuff rather than writing them as adults in kids' bodies, which you see quite a lot with kids' films where like, you know, all of a sudden this 10-year-old is having an existential crisis. It's like, well, yeah, but he, he can't articulate that or she can't articulate that. So he, so he doesn't do that. He writes uh. them, he writes them as, the, I feel like he writes them as kids and that helps them portray kids rather than, portraying ad adults as kids if that kind of makes sense yeah yeah i thought that as well because like you just feel like with boy you just feel like you're watching a classic which he's 11 isn't he you just feel like it's just he's just that classic 11 year old kid who bullshits about everything and like you know you know you've gone home and you've been like oh oh mom um my friend in my class today said this and this and your parents probably think you just utter bullshit what like i can't <laughs> crap. and like the whole way i felt like that, and i think it is a tribute to the writing because he just felt like he was i agree gus it feels like he was just delivering the lines as as he would um like it just felt very natural um like, which is like so why i wouldn't like i wouldn't have said that any of the kids i thought gave like mind-blowing performances because it just felt very real um, yeah. but, well, actually, sorry. Apart from apart from the, the scene where Boy slaps his dad and stuff, that that was great. I thought he was great in that. Oh yeah, I was so happy when he slapped him. I think you touched it, Harry. Like I felt like I I think I wrote down in my book like fuck him up, fuck him up. <laughs> <laughs> like so many films where I just want them to beat up the villain, and it never happens because. You know, <laughs> Like, it's not realistic, but I just love it when they just think, you know what, he's going to get a slap. He's going to get two slaps. Yeah, fair play. It felt, it felt good. I think as well that moment um, where I thought his performance was really good was when he's boasting and he's got everyone, what, they're like ice lollies, or I don't know, ice blocks, something. Yeah. He's got yeah. the jacket on and he's being this big man and then his dad turns up and then it switches like that and suddenly, like, just completely different. And her, you can see, so. yeah, the shock and because he's not yeah. seen as like that yeah. yet even though that kind of shatters the, the glass a bit doesn't it for him after that it's it's a bit different like it starts to build differently kind of thing. Yeah. and it almost I, I, for me it shattered it as well not it's obviously because of what the way that Alamein treats his son but also the way that the aunt Rachel House responds where mm. like she all of a sudden who's been like this very kind of stern you know no means no aunt and all of a sudden she's like what the hell do you think you're doing how can you do that all this kind of stuff and then she just says 
I don't know why she fell in love with you or something like mm. that. Why did she like you or this kind of stuff? And it almost like it dawns on you like, oh, right. So he clearly was a dick a long time ago as well. Like if, if his sister-in-law or former sister-in-law is saying that, she clearly never liked him. Mm. And I think that's a nice little moment of this, of this character who's just been, for most of it, a device to just give you a little bit of comedy between Boy and his aunt when he's trying to get something out of her, for her to give you this major piece of information of like, this guy's been a dick for like 15 years. Mm. Like, it's not just now, it's been for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that bubbling away that I feel was, we, we saw enough of it. Like, he has the one phone call with his own mum where he says, can I have some money? And you don't hear her side, obviously, but then he says, I will spend more quality time with the boys. Like, He's clearly a, a shitbag, but we don't get the scenes where he's talking just adult to adult about him being a shitbag kind of thing. I think, well, mainly because the film is basically boy's point of view, but I think touching on what you guys said, that's just enough to make us, like, give us enough kind of exposition about what he's a bit more like without kind of shattering boy's perception immediately, kind of thing. So that scene's the only scene where two adults interact, I think, isn't it, as well? Yeah, that's pretty a much. I think you're right. Yeah, I think it yeah. might be the only one. Yeah, apart from the fighting, and the crazy horses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but that's a very good point, Max. And you almost have very similar things in, in like Hunt for the World of People and Jojo Rabbit as well, where in general it is just it's kids with adults or kids with kids. But it's very rarely adults with adults. And yeah. I think like that's a very good point you've made, Max, because that also shows how adept he is at writing kids stuff because. Do kids really pay attention to what adults say to each other? No, they probably don't really. They're probably like, they maybe hear some stuff and if they think it's relevant, they'll maybe like take it in. But in general, they're more fussed with what's happening with their friends than what's happening elsewhere. So I think that's a very interesting point. Like if that is the only time, and I think you might well be right, that it is the only time, that kind of shows that like, well, maybe it's circumstance in this film, but in general, kids are more obsessed with themselves than they are other people. Hmm. Um, what did people think? I mean, a lot was made. That scene with um, Boy and his teacher, where he says you've got potential, uh, you've got potential, and then says it's three thirty. I'm off the clock. Yeah. <laughs> and then later on, Boy uh, tries to ask his dad, "Do you know what potential means?" And they get interrupted by his dad's idiot mates. Boy has to look it up in the dictionary. Can't quite understand what the explanation means in the dictionary. Um, but it's framed by the teacher that, oh, I went to school with your dad, you're like him, you've got potential. And this idea of boy not knowing his own potential and having no one in his life to help him realise his potential. Like, his teacher raises the point and then fucks off. His dad can't even answer the question kind of thing. It's like this, I, I thought it's quite tragic that this boy has an idea that he might be better, be something, and no one's going to facilitate how he can understand that the whole way through. And then, uh, but by his dad being a shitbag, he says at the end, doesn't he? He said, I'm nothing like you. I haven't got potential, which, because he still doesn't really mean, understand what it means. He's right. Yeah. He's nothing like his dad, but because he has potential kind of thing. I don't know what people thought about that as like an overarching. Yeah, I guess it framed his dad as what he needs to aim to be like, didn't it? Because a teacher did say, oh, your dad had a lot of potential. Is yeah. that so I guess it just framed that, it just reinforced even more, like he should be trying to be like his dad. And so it's not only in his own head, but now it's confirmed by an adult or something. I don't know. Mm. But it did take me a little while to clock why why he said that, I guess. You know, at the end. I well, he says I haven't got potential. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was. I, I did think I clocked in until Harry just explained it. I don't think I clocked <laughs> that. I, I, just, I just assumed it was he felt he just felt useless and therefore said I have no potential. But that's, that's a good point. It's because he thinks he's supposed his dad has potential and he yeah. doesn't because he's not like his dad. It's, it's a very, very he doesn't point. know what it means because no one's tried to explain it to him. So he thinks then it's by the time he's seen his dad be a bad guy, he thinks potential is a bad thing and he gets upset that he's like his dad. And I just think that's an interesting, I mean, that's a clever piece of writing. Like, I don't have potential because he doesn't know what it means. I just, I mean, the lack of adult presence in his life, I think there's just no one paying attention to him or helping him realise this potential. You know, the, the, the teacher says, oh, I think we've got an orator on our hands. And then he explains it in Maori, but doesn't then do anything with it kind of thing. Um, it just looks like, you know, it's just another kid that can, can get forgotten about if, if not, you know, moulded or looked after. I mean, his fucking teacher's not going to do anything, is he? Which is another great line when he tells the kids to fuck up instead when they're telling each other to fuck up. I liked that teacher. Very funny. Yeah. I guess it reinforces the fact that because, you know, obviously Boy then goes through that process of becoming like his dad and mm -hmm. you just see it there in front of you, how easy it is for these men to become these people because that is what happens in their communities over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and again, like referencing the pop culture stuff, you see them like they see it on their screens and the, this potential maybe, but it's so far out of reach because the people surrounding them aren't really the right mentors. Mm. Well, especially in boys' case. Well, yeah. I mean, like you know, the class was a wide variety of different ages, wasn't it? Like it was, it was not clearly one year's class. It was like as many kids as we can get. Let's put them all kind of in one class, and then like. You know, the only stability he's got at home is his grandmother who, you know, is dealing with an awful lot of kids. So he's not going to get a lot of guidance from her, no matter how much. Like, she clearly loves them and cares about them. But, you know, she's not like, you know, she does fuck off for two weeks. So, like, you know, it, it, there's an element of, you know, she has, she's, you kind of feel very, very sorry for her as a character because she's clearly dealing with a lot of her own bad children if that makes sense and she's trying to rectify that situation with the next generation mm. um but yeah so like you know as you say like the teacher's not a great mentor for him his, his grandmother does her best but she can't be there for him really so his dad who in theory should be like his primary you know carer mentor is he that maybe that's another as a good point maybe another reason why he's so desperate for that dad relationship to work because he has literally got no one else really Mm. Mm. I don't know how much because I know very little them about Maori culture and sort of New Zealand setup, but how much that's a comment on that more widely and maybe Tiger's experience of it, but like this locked in forgotten societies, they're just destined like he's smoking weed and drinking beer at the age of eleven, like mm. it's a pretty vicious sad to be growing up in and just showing that that's not changing and he's not got many outlets like the one job that's being done is like selling drugs to their parents within the whole village like it's such limited options and the teachers are pathetic and like yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely and even uh, like as a full-grown man um Tyker's options are i've buried some money and i'm gonna fucking get out of here kind of thing like it seems like they'll do every anything to escape because there's nothing else you know the perpetual nature of like going nowhere kind of thing but then they're made to feel that that's a bad thing i think that's the other thing you know like they're constantly thinking well this is shit because i can't go anywhere but because it, it's all like 
focused outwards kind of thing. And, and then what I think is nice about the film is Boy realises the good things in his life. He's constantly thinking about riding the dolphin to a mansion with his dad when at the end he realises that he's got people in his life that can fulfil him. And that's good grounding for that as well because Boy's like, let's go ride dolphins at the mansion. He's like, well, I can swim in the sea. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But I, yeah, I, I do like it. Go on, sorry guys. I was going to say, another thing about the kind of job aspect is like, you know, this ties on the fact that Rachel House's character has all the jobs. <laughs> she drives the school bus, she's, she posts all the letters and she runs the local shop. So like, you know, she says to him, get yourself a job and then you can have an ice block. And he goes, you have all of them. <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's like, as you say, like, what are the options here? Like, this is such a kind of tiny, small area, you know, like I think Tyker tried to film it in his, well, a place where he grew up. And so what has been touched on, what are your options? Mm. If one, I know it's, it's partially probably a joke for the film, but like if one person's got three jobs and there's only five or six jobs to go around, then how are you supposed to get a job? Like where, you, you know, you, in theory, you've got to go into a city and it's almost like, you know, that kind of, I thought that was very, very interesting. Mm. And, yeah. and also there was the, um, what was her name? Dynasty, who had the, was the only kid who had a job and it was uh, like, cutting weed and things for this bike. Yeah. I love um, Boy's description of that. It was after school gardening work. Yeah. yeah. Lovely way to, again, that child perspective of like, that's how it's justified. <laughs> yeah. I spent a long time going, I'm pretty sure that's weed, but like, is it, isn't this, but like, the, the, what's it like, these kids are like 11, but this is, this definitely looks like weed to me. Like, yeah. I, I took me a long time to actually like, it, I think it wasn't until the moment where he gave it to his dad. I was like, well, if you find any more of this, bring it to me. Where I was like, oh, yeah, no, it's dead. Yeah, I was right. It's definitely weird. Yeah, <laughs> weird. Um, yeah it's, I, th I think Neve said it earlier, but this, this could have been a, a, a dark, tragic, sad film about a depraved community and kids left to their own devices. And that's definitely there. There's like a, always an undercurrent. There's a couple of times it reminds you that this is a really depraved lifestyle. Um, and I think... You know, there's some shocking moments. I think that framing of the, that when the mum passed away in childbirth is pretty harrowing. Both, we see it twice. Um, and that, like that sticks with you. And I think, you know, it's a, can seem, seem like a jolly romp, but then Taika will just chuck in these little shocking moments that make you think, oh yeah, this is a, uh, it kind of can be a tragic story and a very realistic story as well. I, I, I found it quite bleak throughout, to be honest. Mm. I mean, I know it's punctuated with silliness and there is the sort of veneer of childhood innocence, which kind of gives it a level whereby it's not the most depressing thing you've ever seen. But like, if you think about the situation mm. and all the adult characters are really struggling in some way, and it's only because he is a, a child who actually, you know, isn't mature enough to kind of, I mean, he has responsibilities already, but, you know, he's not burdened by adulthood yet. And, you know, it, there is a suggestion that he will repeat mm. his father's destiny. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I thought it was very, very hard hitting and very, very moving, actually, overall. Um, I, I, I didn't find it a romp, really. Like, I found bits of it, you know, funny and silly, but I found, I found it quite, you know, Heavy, to be honest. I, I agree with you, Nick, that I think it was really heavy and hard hitting. I think the 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 point was I I saw it more that sort of 
you can watch a film that you know is going to be heavy and hard hitting and you know you're in for a miserable time and you can spend three hours being miserable and you're miserable at the end. Or you can watch a film that takes you to sort of quite interesting places and it's funny and it's engaging. And that sort of film for me, when it hits, it hits so much harder mm-hmm. because it's, yeah. it's because you're, 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 you're trying so hard to feel lightness and, and to empathize with, with, mm-hmm. with the kind of, you know, the nice, silly moments. And, and, and for me, that's, that's so much more affecting and it's so much more moving because you're so caught up in the story that all the lightness makes the darkness seem that much mm, worse. I agree. That's a, yeah, very, very well I, think, I, I think that's a very good point, Jen. I think like for me, when it started, it felt a very kind of zany, silly, tyker comedy like the first 10-15 minutes I was like I was giggling to myself I was like oh this is going to be you know really funny really silly and then I felt that went away quite quickly and Mm. most of the comedy after that came from slightly awkward situations that the characters were in so like you know boy dancing to try and impress Chardonnay when he invites around to go for a drive and he's just sat there in the driver's seat moving the wheel when I should going anywhere and that for me the comedy very quickly moved away from like a kind of quite classic style of comedy towards a very much like you're laughing because this situation is ridiculous, not because it's actually funny. Mm. I think, yeah, I, I'd agree. I found it, I wouldn't say I found it massively bleak because I don't think it quite affected me that much, but I found it to be a very tough story to get through mm. um, in general. I didn't, I didn't, it didn't go quickly for me, let's say that like I felt like it 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 felt hard to watch a lot of times because I was so desperate for the characters to do the exact opposite of what they actually did <laughs> hmm. Hmm. any criticisms yeah has anyone I mean we've we've waxed lyrical about we enjoyed things did anyone find things they didn't enjoy I um oh, here we go <laughs> <laughs> he's outspoken he is awakened <laughs> <laughs> we know how this works with Ollie. If he stays silent for 15 minutes, then he didn't like it. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, um, I didn't enjoy it that much. I think it was because I was expecting to really enjoy it and was just a lo- left a little bit cold by it. Um, so we um, went saw Jojo Rabbit when it was on the cinema and one of the best films I've seen in years. I loved it. Um, I watched this and I just didn't really find that I connected with it. I think kind of touching on what Anna said, the, the storyline was just a bit weak for me and I just I was just left a bit like, yeah. Um but having said that from watching it, there were so many bits where I was like, this is the same as that film, but not as good. But it, it's <laughs> like you can kind of watch it and you can see him honing his craft and mm-hmm. like yeah. learning the bits that are working well and not working so well. Um, so, there, so there was a couple of really good moments in it where I was like, oh, yeah, and that is exactly like that. But like, and you could see a lot of the tropes that he's used since, like, you know, this this zany, charismatic adult figure that you're not really sure if they're there or they're not there, and he's kind of looking up to them. Um, the kind of the cutouts and flashbacks and bits and pieces like that. Um, and like, as I say, when I watched Jojo Rabbit, I was blown away by it and loved it. Um, and I cried, Harry, which was nice. I did. I mean, obviously, I did. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I was just, um, I just wasn't really sort of taken away by it. Um, 
I think it it also and this is just I think it's one of those things that it kind of it takes your ear a little bit of tuning to. Um, the New Zealand accent is quite difficult to follow up. Yeah. And it's, I think it took me 15 or 20 minutes to really sort of like tune my ear into it. And by which point I think I'd like not got a lot of the early context and stuff. So, you know, maybe having watched it back again um, might have been a little bit more kind of caught by it. It took me to like the last 10, 15 minutes to realise that the insult they were saying to each other was egg. <laughs> I, took me, I, I was like I know they they use the, there's a word they're using that's like not a swear word to insult each other but I couldn't work out what it was until the last time it's like oh it's egg they're calling each other an egg right makes sense but at the beginning there's a whole bit where he goes ye egg and then he goes like boiled poached scrambled like whatever terrible accent yeah fine I just missed it yeah, like, I, think I, I think Holly's point's fair enough like it, it's yeah, I agree. I, I think it's interesting because they clearly, I mean, this is made by like not just not just Kiwi uh, companies, but Maori film companies. And there's a lot of Maori just like dotted in the in the script. And if you compare it to like Hunt for the Wilder People, which is still a Kiwi film, but way more tailored to like a world audience. And I think this was probably a small Kiwi film made to be seen within its own country and maybe Oz and the yeah. wider market. And then it really took off yeah. and I think Taika since has made more uh, effort to make it not less Kiwi but more uh, I guess accessible because uh, that's yeah. what you need to do if you're going to hit a huge market and yeah definitely like there's some there were points where I, I didn't understand what was going on because all of a sudden they just switched to Maori and chuck in a few bits here and there so I guess it's that initial thing of like well, we made a Kiwi film and then all of a sudden everyone saw it which was and then he's, he's built from that since, I think. Yeah, I think me and you were saying how um, there must be so many more nuggets of comedy in there that we just didn't pick up on because it's so cultural. Like, yeah. um, and like, so if a British film was made, we would pick up on stuff that maybe other people wouldn't. Absolutely. Um, there was a moment where all the kids were laughing at someone on TV and maybe that was meant to mean something, but had absolutely no idea who it was but was, um, the, was it the weather thing was it the weather forecast mm -hmm. and like he's the yeah. weather the, the, he said something and they all just found yeah they all found it there and she's like okay it's nice you're laughing but i have no idea why <laughs> yeah but that's the thing if, if the script was was done by british actors i i don't think it would have been half as funny i i think a lot of the jokes came from them being maori in the way they said it obviously because it was written for a Maori, you know, um, cast and everything. But I think there was a lot of charm in it. And even though, yeah, a lot of it went over my head, I think, um, I think a lot of it still was quite accessible. And that's almost what made it funny. Mm. I do like, know what you mean, though, Ollie, about um, if you compare it to Jojo Rabbit, and Jojo Rabbit, for me, is, is such a polished film, right? It's like someone who is at the height of their filmmaking career, whereas this... You can tell it was, it's more than 10 years old. It came out in 2010. And I think, you know, I, I still enjoyed it. I found it very charming, but it, it's definitely rough around the edges compared to some of his later work or the work that we might be a bit more familiar with. Yeah. Mm. Something we discussed in the last edition, didn't we, about this idea of, you know, early films versus late films in someone's career, but also this idea of when you're writing something that like, like when Taika was promoting Joe Drabbit, he talks a lot about the fact that his, his mother, he grew up with a single mother. Like his mother was, he was entirely dependent on her, him and his siblings for support. His dad was very absent in his life. 
And I feel like, you know, that's clearly a lot of the impetus for this film is this idea of he's writing a lot about his own father. And that's hard to get right for a general audience, isn't it? That mm. idea of something is so personal, it's very hard to make sure that that doesn't spill across. You know, like we touched on this idea of, is it slightly too this area, this part of New Zealand for us to fully access? And I think that's not entirely surprising based on the fact that it's such a personal story. Particularly when he's playing him himself. He's playing yeah. his dad. In theory, he was a dick. That must be quite difficult. Mm. Yeah, I so, agree. I think it's... I, I, it, like, I think he tried a good line, though. Obviously, clearly a personal story, but I still think a very accessible kind of normal... Uh, or at least understandable human story that uh, I, I get. I know there's been a criticism of not a lot happens and it really doesn't, but I feel like there's a lot to unpack there with a not a lot happening as any relationship does, especially an absent father and a, and a dead mother of an 11 year old boy. Like that's enough for me, I think, to think to find something compelling about his relationships with other people. But yeah. I do personally agree with Ollie and Anna about this idea of like, it's not, it's a story I have seen an awful lot of times. I don't know about anyone else. And like, does it do anything particularly different or groundbreaking with this story? No, probably not. But I enjoyed the overall sensibility of how it treated its characters enough to enjoy it. Because I think, you know. Yeah, I think that sometimes, like you're saying, Harry, like, it, not a lot happens but you can find kind of a lot of enjoyment in what doesn't happen and what is presented to you but I think that for me like coming back to what Ollie said like it, it was just too kind of patchy some I found myself at some points really engaged and I was like oh I'm enjoying this and then others I was like this is only an hour and a half film and it feels so long mm -hmm. um, and it just started to you know drag and I think that compared to that that's like other films that kind of use a similar technique of like the story is so simple and uh, you know, you'll just present it like it's a completely different film. But take Portrait of a Lady on Fire, nothing happens, but for about an hour and a half, two hours, you are so engrossed. Oh, I was anyway. I was, this, I was just like, I was in and out, I was patchy, like you say, with the same with the accent, I found it like really, sometimes really hard to understand what was happening. Um, so yeah, all that combined, I think, made it. No, absolutely. Yeah. Another tiny niggle I had that really annoyed me just at the end was it was all so well designed. Like, Pav, you were saying earlier, like, it was really subtle. They didn't overdo Michael Jackson. Like, these, these themes <laughs> were present the whole way through. Beautiful, really naturalistic home, blah, 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 blah. And then we go into Dad's den at the end, and he sits on the chair, and oh, the antlers have skewed yeah, because his yeah. crown has fallen. <laughs> oh, I was really, like, really annoyed me. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say this though, that's perfectly fair, but if it didn't already annoy you like it annoyed me, when I saw the antlers straight up, I was already like, yeah. oh, be <laughs> I didn't find that clever though, because I felt like I've seen that 15 billion times now. Yeah. I'm like, this, like, I know there's nothing new under the sun, and there's nothing against using something that you think looks good, fine, but like, when he sat down and the antlers were perfectly there, I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so then when they were tipped, I didn't feel any different because I was like, well, yeah, I expected them at some point to not look like that. Yeah. I I bet, but I thought it was his old hideout from his gang. So I thought he'd literally nailed the antlers into the wall specifically for that effect. 
I thought that's something he had done deliberately in his youth when he was part of this biker gang. And then he sat back going like, yeah, I look fucking cool with my antlers. But then there's, but then there's, no, rec- there's no recognition of it at all. Like, yeah, if he deliberately right? put them there to make him look cool. What's he going to do? He would, look, look, he would like, almost like have a <laughs> them, like, Oh, yeah, these things. I'm going to sit perfectly here. I know? think I liked it because the moment you first see him, he, the, the boy says to him, do you still do wood carving? And he says, no, I haven't got time for that anymore. I'm a busy man. And he sits down, lights a cigarette, and the antlers are there. And it just, like, undermines him. It's just more of an idiot kind of thing, I think. I think it, the first moment you see it is, like, it fully undermines him as a, as an idiot, but I'm probably yeah. justify anything. Oh, so. that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, because antlers can also represent either like a powerful stag or a dumb little moose. Or something. <laughs> I literally just thought they were there. I don't think they do that, Pam. I don't think that's the way it Dumb little moose. Dumb moose. Yeah, I feel like I, I do. I agree about them falling down, but. Sure. But then being there in first place, I was like, he's just a knob and that's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I find it funny. But then when they do slip, it's kind of feels like a it's clever, but also a bit of an insult to the audience as if like, OK, do you now understand what's happened in the story? Mm, yeah. <laughs> no, totally, totally, totally. Yeah. I thought, Neve, I thought you were going to say about the thriller video at the end. I thought you yeah. said I love that as well. I don't know whether anyone else felt this way. Like I, when it started, because I, I knew that I'd worked out, sorry, I didn't know that was in this film, but I, I had seen a video of Tyka doing that dance, right? Not the whole thing. And so it finally dawned on me, oh, this must be from this film, right? And then it didn't happen the whole way through. So then when it started at the end, I was like, oh, okay, they're going to recreate the thriller video. The fact that it was thriller mixed with a hacker, yeah. I thought was really nice. Like, Every Michael Jackson touch beforehand was very, almost very to the letter, very to, like a copy of what had been done before. And the fact that it was mixed in with the kind of, you know, New Zealand tradition, I thought was a really, really nice touch. Yeah, I like that. I like that Taika was clearly saying that, you know, it's, it's woven within our own heritage and we're not just going to like do these big American things. We might as well, you know, it's a Kiwi film. Let's make it our Kiwi version kind of thing. And the kid playing boy was going for it as well. Yeah, he loves it. Yeah. Like, he, was, oh. like, he was proper like, you know, New Zealand all black flanker doing it. Like, Whereas <laughs> the, kid, the kid who plays Rocky didn't have a fucking clue what was going no on. <laughs> yeah, one of the other things that um, me and Eve also spoke about was the soundtrack throughout. There are a few songs that were redone by Maori choirs, which was really cool as well. Like the same kind of touch where um, it's referencing these popular songs, but making it part of their culture as well. Yeah, Yeah, I thought the music was pretty beautiful throughout. I don't know if anyone else have anything more to say than that, but yeah, I thought it it supported the story as well. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, Mm. I enjoyed it. You? Yeah, I agree. Um, I I thought that it was very well lit, <laughs> and I don't know what the, I don't know I don't know what the technical term is for this. Cinematography, first place. Yeah, there we go. So, so you know, so I'm not sure whether it's you know because of my eyesight is going in my old age, but some of the you know the movies that come out now. When it goes to a dark scene, I can't fucking see anything. <laughs> like a dark void. That seems to be the theme at the moment, yeah. Yeah, this was, this was great between going like the, the, the beach scene where they're charging around and it's all just like really bright and nice. And they'll be saying a bit grungier or saying a bit darker. It was just like really well balanced. 
Mm. It's not something I pick out. It, it's only uh, trying to come up with, you know, intellectual points on these calls <laughs> that I started thinking about the, that kind I of stuff. Film. Yeah, yeah. Really. <laughs> I thought it was good. I thought it was beautifully shot. I think there's some really uh, uh, stunning shots and, and kind of really interesting framing. So it was well lit. Yes. <laughs> I think as well, like a, a piece like this, which is in a very specific small, like not so small area, but very specific area of the world, right? Like it's shot where it's set, all this kind of stuff. And maybe people in New Zealand would know it better than we do, but none of us know this place at all, right? So a, f a film that's in a, in a kind of unknown area has really balanced the idea of showing you the landscape of this place so you get an idea of the geography in your head of what it is to live there without it all just being massive helicopter shots that are flying over and just showing you the whole thing. I think every time we saw a landscape shot, there was something in there to notice about how this, the town worked and why the things happened later on which I thought was very, very, very smart. Not unsurprising for an indie film, because you see that a little bit, quite a lot. But I thought it was well executed to not be like, here's this space you've never seen before, and I'm going to show you exactly yeah. how the whole town lays out in the first five it's, minutes. Like, it, it's very easy to, to fall into like gratuitous tourist board style yeah. shots. Yeah, I thought it was a place without a lot. Not Lord of the Rings, was it? <laughs> We were not on a walking tour of New Zealand, sadly. No. There was one really nice shot, which I pointed out to you. When it boys, was just so simple. It was just, boys just walking, walking across the, along the beach. It was just lovely. When he tries to fling the thing back and it just doesn't go. Yeah. Like, so oh, yeah, 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 yeah. his life. Like, along, it's he just, the thing and then he... Yeah, the yeah. It's just so... That was really nice. Yeah, but I agree, Gus, without it being too... Here's New Zealand kind of thing. Yeah. That was... I also thought a really nice touch because it was something that I was thinking about the other day I think it was after I was babysitting or there was like something on Instagram so, so the way that kids just have to fiddle with stuff the way the kids just have to they see something they have to play with it right and I thought yeah. that was such a nice touch the idea of like there's this thing and he's not in a great mood and an adult would just be like I'm not in a good mood I'm just gonna get home whereas he's still a kid and he still picks up the, the, little, the little rock and he tries to fling it and it doesn't work so he picks up again and tries to fling and he still doesn't work so he kicks something so he's pissed off about it and throws it down like that like that little bit of stuff because there's a lot of kind of adult sensibility to the boy's entire story but kept through the lens of a child so I, yeah. I thought that was a nice little scene even though it's what like 20 mm. seconds and no dialogue in the same vein I just wanted to uh, raise up uh, Maori, Maori Smurf where the kid just paints himself blue and uh, <laughs> says, what's this yeah. he just says Maori Smurf no explanation it's but again so going back to what I said I didn't hear the word Maori I only heard yeah. the word Smurf. So I was like, I get it, Smurf, you're blue. But I didn't hear <laughs> the word Mary, so I did And I was like, yeah, yeah fair enough. I thought Moldy yeah. Smurf, I was like, I'm not getting this. Like, Moldy. is this Moldy Smurf? Shouldn't it be green then? <laughs> <laughs> cool, unless anyone's got anything else they'd like to raise or critique or shout about or... I find... Like, no, I'm happy. I think yeah, I'm going to to shift quite soon, annoyingly, but... I, I, I find his acting quite jarring. Like that, that's just that's just my taste. I found him really jarring in Jojo Rabbit. I like I don't know. Like Yeah, I just don't yeah. get it to be honest. Um, and for me, I don't know what it is. Like it's funny, but it's also so self-aware his acting that it's just like is this just bad acting? Like it it doesn't work for me. But like I, it didn't ruin the film for me because he's a silly character. And it's through the eyes of a child. And I get that 
that's maybe what he's going for. But ultimately, I just think it's just kind of ridiculous. Like, yeah. that's the overall impression I, I go away with um, from his performances that I've seen. But I know yeah. you disagree vehemently, so... I quite I quite enjoy his performance overall, but there was that one bit where, you know, he's trying to get into the car and take ages to get in the car. And it was like that just felt a little bit self indulgent. Like if he cut that bit down by just a couple of seconds, it when would you're have the been great great. Well, and you're making the whole crew just watch you do that. And he probably did yeah. <laughs> Ride the theme tune, sing the theme tune. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree with you because I, I actually like love that idea, that moment where you finally re- like you're you're finally like, Oh yeah, this car's stolen. But yeah, like it like I was like, it doesn't take this long to jump through a window, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it shouldn't take this long. You should be in by now. You should be off by now. So yeah, yeah. I, I agree. And like a little bit of fumbling, great, but it just oh, I agree. Really I, I'd really struggle to get through a car window as quick as you did. At least I'll even straight. In theory, if you if if you've been doing this a lot because you've stolen the car, you'd probably be a little better at it than you are right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fifth or sixth time you were jumping through that window you've got a little bit of a knack down to get no, in fairly yeah. quickly I would think yeah. especially considering like if you've nicked a car and you need to jump through the window you want to be as as unobvious as possible right like no, no one's supposed to see you do it I don't know if anyone else wants to say anything else but I think we've got a a good old discussion about Taika Waititi's 2010 film <laughs> Boy. <laughs> that was going so well. That was going so oh, well. Harry. <laughs> um, good, good, good hosting. Good, good hosting, Harry. It's great. Thank you. Nice uh, discussion points, Hazard. And I love the cap. Thank you. Well thank done. you very much. I wrote and, he's got it, and he's got caps on his T-shirt as well. Yeah, yeah look, it's oh, all, it's all tailored. It takes me three hours to prepare for this. <laughs> You shouldn't have bothered. No. <laughs> um, yes, no, thank you very much, Harry. That was kind of what I was hoping for a little bit more, that I wouldn't have to <laughs> talk so much because I'm not just repeating myself and being completely... Oh, I get totally sick of listening to you as well. <laughs> Good, because <laughs> I do too. Um, right. Um, I presume you know, Charlotte, that you have to give each film a score. I don't know if Holly told you or not. <laughs> Yeah, he told me about five minutes before we dialed on the... On the oh, that, that, that's, that's well done, Ollie. What? He's very happy with that. Um, so, yeah, out of ten, um, I'm very impressed that we've managed to lose two people already. But um, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I've already um, told them what they need to do for me. Uh, so we've got 12 people to vote, and I'm going to do it in a sort of random order because... That's how I've written it. So, um, Alex. Uh, six. Six. Hmm. Jen. <laughs> Eight. Eight. Pavlo. Eight. Eight. Charlotte. Can I give half points? Is that allowed? No! So badly when I asked the same question. Everyone, everyone last week asked the same question. Oh no, really? He's given me no information at yeah, all. <laughs> Classic. Oh, You've you actually had 14 weeks hey. to give this information about how she's supposed to mark these. Um, okay, I'll go six then. 
six. Mm. Oh. Four. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell! Yeah, hang on, you can't, you can't have been Ooh. that quiet. Throughout, the, throughout it, you have to give oh, some. Leave him alone. Leave him alone. He can give whatever he wants. I'm just uh, shy. No. I just wanted to hear more of his opinion. The first one, the second one, and Ollie's been like, "Fuck this! I'm no longer being nice." Bang. Four. He's a dude. Less than a six. The last one, So we're already we're already in uncharted territory. Neve. Eight. I'll go five. Sorry. Do you actually want to? I can, Ollie, you can really no, handle it. Give it what you want. I'm just, I want to hear more. Oh, oh, oh. Give you, if you really want to change it, give yourself half an hour and then text me. But right now, I'm leaving it as a four, okay? <laughs> um, I want to be harsher this time round. I want to give some twos. You did. Uh, come on, guys, it's not be harshest for the sake of it. Guys, 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 just don't, don't, like, don't do that. Yeah, do guys, don't, 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 judge, don't judge a film when you're angry. Just wait half an hour. Um, Lydia. Eight. Eight. Uh, no, but Laura. Nicholas. Seven. Seven. Uh, Harry. Nine from me. <gasps> and the selector Nine. bias continues. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anna. <laughs> Five. Ooh. 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 Max. Uh, that, I can smell a four. Ollie, if you give him five, maybe she would have given four. So it's all going to work out fine. Who knows? Um, and I'm going to give it a seven as well. Ooh. Nice. Good film. This is a good mix. I um, like it. Good mix. Ooh. Four up to nine. Boy can be streamed on Amazon Prime in the UK. Thank you to Anchor for helping us make this podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll be back with another episode soon.